Hello and welcome back to the Everyday Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Green. This is a podcast where we remind ourselves that God deserves every praise from every creature every day. We are drawing to the close of the season. We've just got, uh, I think, four more episodes, including this one. We are looking at Second Peter, and we're going to go to Second Peter chapter 2, the first part, verses 1 through 14 today. I would like to remind you about the Scattered Abroad Network. Again, go and check out all of our podcasts that we have to offer at uh, Scattered Abroad Network, scatteredabroad.org. Also, don't forget to leave us a rating and review in our podcast. I would especially appreciate it if you would rate and review the Everyday Christian Podcast in your podcast listening app. That would really uh, help us out a lot. We're continuing this study of Second Peter, looking at chapter 2. And Peter's really going to get into his main subject now, which is false teachers. When you think about false teaching, of course, we understand that there are way more false teachers than there are true teachers of God's word. And really, that has always been the case. But I think about various categories of false teaching, if you will. There certainly is false teaching regarding worship. There is false teaching regarding the design and organization and leadership and pattern for the church. Uh, there's false teaching regarding hermeneutics, that is, the interpretation of the Bible. There's false teaching regarding unity of the church, or really lack thereof, and people being accepting of denominational divisions, which is something that clearly Jesus never approved and, and actually prayed that it would not be the case in John chapter 17. There's false teaching regarding God and uh, his deity, his nature, uh, the Godhead in general, the God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's, there's false teaching there. And what about the facts of how God created us and the world? There's false teaching regarding that, uh, evolution and things of that nature. What about the plan of salvation? There is certainly much false false doctrine regarding the plan of salvation. There are many who teach that uh, we do not have to be baptized for the remission of sins, even though the Bible very clearly teaches that. There are those who, in essence, don't teach uh, repentance correctly. There are those who teach that one can remain in particular sins, uh, even before they become a Christian, well, they basically teach that you can remain in it and, and then be baptized, and the uh, baptism will wash away sins that you haven't repented of. And the Bible does not teach that. The Bible teach, teaches that we have to repent and be baptized. There are false teachers uh, regarding the afterlife and the end times, the end of the world, and, and things of this nature. There are false teachers regarding heaven and hell. There are many who uh, do not believe in the existence of hell, and, and there are those who have wrong ideas about heaven even. And so there are so many false teachings that uh, are rampant, unfortunately, in the religious world, in Christendom, if you will. But we want to talk about the idea of true doctrine. And I think of Second John chapter 1, verse 9, it talks about the doctrine of Christ. We have to understand the doctrine of Christ, what the Bible actually teaches, so that we can find the false doctrines uh, when we come across them. I am reminded of something my dad taught me about his experience in uh, going to chiropractic school. So 
Uh, my dad is a, a doctor of chiropractic. One of the first things that he was taught in school was that you cannot really be an expert in everything that can go wrong with the human body. There's just not enough time in the world, uh, not enough resources to become an expert in every single thing that can go wrong with the anatomy and physiology of the human body. That said, you can become an expert in what is normal anatomy and physiology of the human body, what things are supposed to look like in the body, so that when you come across something that is wrong with someone, then you can readily identify it, and then you can get to work trying to figure out the proper treatment method to uh, to get that individual as closely as possible back to normal anatomy and physiology. Sometimes it's not possible to get someone back to complete normal, but you can treat and and identify problems so that you can get them as close to uh, normal as possible. Well, that is an idea from from medical care, um, and certainly there are those who are, who do become experts in certain health problems. You know, a, a great cardiologist might be an expert in various problems that can affect the human heart. Uh, an expert brain surgeon might be an expert in various problems with the brain. But the brain surgeon is probably not necessarily going to be an expert in problems that affect the digestive system. Uh, and the, the cardiologist is probably not going to be an expert in uh, problems that affect um, maybe the respiratory system. So the point is that it's much more difficult to be experts in all the problems. But if we are experts in the normal, then it will help us to identify the problems. Well, kind of the same case could be said about uh, Christianity. If we can truly become experts in what uh, God wants us to know, experts in the doctrine of Christ, then when we see false doctrine, we're going to see it immediately as such. We're going to say, oh, that is definitely not true. I know the normal. I know the Bible teaches this. Therefore, when, when that false teacher is saying that, I know that it is false doctrine. So keeping that in mind, I want us to begin looking at verse number one. We want to notice that uh, as has always been the case, there are false teachers. There have always been false teachers, and Peter acknowledges that in verse 1. He says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, Christians, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And by the way, that word destructive or uh, similar words with the same root appears six times in this chapter. So they will bring in secretly destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. I think I think uh, Peter's probably dealing with the Gnostics when he says that. And also they bring on themselves swift destruction. Again, there's the second time that destructive or destruction uh, appears in this text. So Peter, Peter acknowledges that really this is the same old song, just a different verse. Same old song, different tune, if you will. Uh, there have always been false teachers. You can read about them in the Old Testament in various places. One of the places you can read about them is the book of Jeremiah, chapters 27 through 29. 
uh, and several other other places in Jeremiah as well. But chapter 27 through 29 of Jeremiah, the false prophets were saying, oh, no, we're not going to go to Babylon. Uh, Babylon is going to return the captives that they've already taken and the king that they've taken and the stolen treasure from the temple. They're going to return all that in just a couple of years. That's what the false prophets were saying. At one point, there was a man named uh, Hananiah that uh, kind of interferes with Jeremiah and a yoke that he had made. And uh, Hananiah takes the yoke and breaks it and says, oh, the yoke is going to be broken. Uh, we will be back to normal in just the space of two years. And at first, Jeremiah is kind of like, amen, I hope that is the case. But then we find uh, later on in, in the next several verses, God says, no, that's not the case. Hananiah is a false teacher. You need to go confront him. And ultimately, Hananiah was put to death that very same year for his false teaching. Another example can be found in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 30, verses 9 through 13 reads that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who, who will not hear the law of the Lord, who say to the seers, which is another word for prophets, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things, speak to us smooth things, prophesy deceits. You see, the things that they wanted to hear, that's what they were trying to get the prophets to prophesy. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perversity and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach ready to fall, a bulge in a high wall whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant. God says, look, you're listening to these false teachers. You're encouraging these false teachers. Your destruction is going to come very, very swiftly. Has anything ever really changed? Well, most people still, do they prefer the truth or do they prefer false teaching? Well, they prefer false teaching. Paul warned of this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4 verses 1 through 4. Paul writes, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine or healthy, uh, appropriate doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. So this is the false teachers that Peter's talking about. Same thing Paul's talking about here. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. How serious is this false teaching? Again, notice that Peter says back in verse 1 that they are bringing in destructive heresies. The King James says damnable heresies. Uh, teachings that are contrary to the doctrine of Christ, that are destructive and damnable. They will condemn people. Uh, people will go to hell because of these false teachings. So this is extremely, extremely serious. Very, very important. Look at verse number two. Unfortunately, the number of the deceived from false teachers is going to be very, very large. And many 
will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By the way, this is the third time that we find the word destructive or destruction, etc. But many are going to follow these ways. We know this to be true. Jesus himself predicted this when he said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So this is a very clear warning, and we need to pay attention. We also need to notice here that the word of truth is actually blasphemed by false teaching. This is obviously a very, very serious matter. Well, finally, this this uh, episode, we want to look at verses 3 through 14. We want to notice the character and the tactics of false teachers. Verse 3, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. That's the fourth time destruction appears. But notice that they practice covetousness, exploitation, and deception. What do false teachers care about when it all boils down to it? Do they care about souls? No, they care about their bottom line. They care about money. And so they exploit and they deceive. Isn't it a shame those who exploit uh, little old widows and widowers out of their hard-earned money? Well, just send me $30 a month, we often hear by false teachers. Isn't it a shame those who, like we read about in Isaiah, uh, they teach smooth things. They teach deceits, lies. Well, God is going to judge them severely for this. James 3 verse 1 says, Do not let many of you be teachers, for we will receive the stricter judgment, and those who are false teachers will certainly receive strict judgment. Verses 4 through 6, Peter writes, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. So here we have three examples of destruction of the unrighteous that are examples for our learning. I think of Romans 15, verse 4. These examples from the Old Testament include the angels who sinned. They were cast down into darkness and into hell. Uh, This would be the angels that rebelled against God, I believe. Uh, The second example is the ancient world of the ungodly. During Noah's day, they were... Uh, condemned with the flood. And then also, of course, Sodom and Gomorrah, they were condemned to destruction as well. 
That's the fifth time that destruction is mentioned in this passage, by the way. And uh, so these are all examples of what happens to those who are ungodly. Ungodly appears a couple times in these verses. And I would also encourage you to read Jude, uh, verses 3 and following. When we are supposed to contend for the faith, uh, part of the reason why is because of the ungodly people that are bringing in the false doctrines and the lewdness that uh, Jude talks about. And he uses the word ungodly over and over again uh, in Jude, verses 3 and following. Verse number 7 is interesting here. It's a continuation of what Peter's talking about from Sodom and Gomorrah. But he talks about righteous Lot here. Verse 7, And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. Now, a lot of skeptics try to point to this particular verse with Lot and say, Was not this the guy that foolishly selected the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the first place? Was this not the guy that offered his daughters even to the Sodomites? And was this not the guy who produced children through incest with his own daughters? And that is a perfectly legitimate question. We want to ask ourselves, was Lot righteous? These are definitely some sins that Lot committed. But does the Bible paint a picture of all of its heroes as being perfect? Or does it actually acknowledge the mistakes of the various people that uh, the Bible talks about? Well, it, it, it does acknowledge their mistakes. Some of them flat out just blatantly foolish mistakes, such as the things that Lot committed. But I want you to put yourself in Lot's shoes for a moment and ask yourself what you would have done. How many of us would have selected the abundantly fertile plains of Sodom and Gomorrah too? Look how beautiful this is. I think I'll select this. Abraham, you can have that. How many of us would have made the same choice? Or imagine having crazy, immoral men beat on your doors late at night and having to make an impetuous decision to try to save angels that were sent from God. Now, he, he made a bad decision offering his daughters, but nonetheless, we also need to understand and, and be gracious towards Lot in the sense that what would we have done in a situation like that? These angels, these messengers from God are here, and these men are beating down your door, wanting access to these angels. Uh, what would we have done? I, I don't know what I would have done in that situation. So we do need to be gracious to Lot there. He, he made a bad decision, but we still need to be gracious to him. But what about this? Uh, what did the daughters of... Uh, of Lot, what did they do to influence him to do what they did with him? Well, they got him drunk before he did that, Genesis 19. So uh, clearly, he should not have gotten drunk. Obviously, that that's sinful, but that's what happened. And uh, the decision that he made after the fact, uh, clearly, his judgment was very, very clouded. So he definitely sinned. Lot, there's no, no doubt about it. Lot sinned in uh, circumstances such as this. And we should not uh, make excuses for his sins. But at the same time, the skeptic tries to make a contradiction in the Bible here, uh, saying, well, how in the world could you say Lot was righteous? Well, lots of people that are in the Bible that had an overall righteousness to the way that they lived their lives, they still made plenty of mistakes. Abraham was a liar on multiple occasions. Uh, Noah 
He got drunk at one point, too, if you remember, uh, after they got off the ark. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Paul was a murderer of Christians. Peter was a denier of Christ. Certainly, uh, the various people that we read about in the Bible were not perfect, with the exception of Jesus Christ, but not perfect men can still uh, lead an overall life of righteousness in spite of their various mistakes. And I think that uh, when the Bible points out the mistakes of various people who overall were righteous, but they made these mistakes, I think the, the Bible does us a tremendous service in showing that, hey, in spite of the various mistakes we have made in life, we can get back on the horse, if you will. We can get back up and, and walk faithfully in his light and do our best to be faithful to him and, and be righteous. So uh, this is not a contradiction here in verse 7 at all. Verse number 8, For that righteous man dwelling among them, the unrighteous, the ones that are oppressing uh, Lot by their filthy conduct, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Lot was tormented with evil people all around him, day after day, and he was oppressed by them, uh, as we saw in verse 7. Not only that, but why did Lot get rescued out of Sodom and Gomorrah in the first place? Well, because he and his family were the only ones worth saving. The rest of Sodom and Gomorrah were completely too far gone. They couldn't even find 10 righteous souls in the area. If they had find, found 10 righteous souls, God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah, but there were not 10 to be found. Verse number nine. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. If the Lord can deliver Lot, then the Lord can deliver us from the wicked as well. He will deliver the godly out of temptation, and he will deliver the unjust to punishment on the day of judgment. Verse number 10. These are some more characteristics of the false teachers and the wicked men that Peter has been talking about, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. So this list includes the fact that these men walk according to the flesh. Romans chapter 6 teaches that Christians are not to walk according to the flesh. We are to walk according to righteousness. In the lust of uncleanness they are as well. This would be sexual immorality. But also in despising authority. Uh, rebellion, disrespecting the authority of God and uh, the authority that God gives local authorities uh, as well, you know, local governments. Uh, they are despising of this, uh, even despising of elderships within the church that God gives authority to as well. Uh, these sorts of men, they despise authority in general. They are presumptuous. Uh, that is, they fly by the seat of their pants, if you will, to more and more ungodliness, just looking and looking for more and more opportunities to commit iniquity. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6, one of the things that God hates is uh, feet that are swift to run to do evil, and those that uh, are devising evil schemes, as we read in Proverbs 6. So they are presumptuous, 
And also they are self-willed. It is all about them. It's not about others. It's not about Christ. It is about them. But also they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Again, Christians are to be respectful to dignitaries, but those that are evil here, those that are false teachers, they speak out evil against dignitaries, against uh, governments and and ruling authorities that God has ordained. Again, uh, don't forget, we will know false teachers by their fruits, and that would include this and all the various sins that we're reading about here. Verse number 11. This is an interesting verse. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Kind of a tricky verse, a little bit difficult to understand. But I think the idea is that even angels know their place. Even angels understand that it's not their place to bring the judgment upon wicked men. They're going to leave the judgment up to God, who is going to be everyone's final judge. And so uh, these people that are evil, these false teachers that bring reviling accusations against dignitaries, they don't have that mindset. They are very arrogant, and they basically are making judges out of themselves rather than letting God be the ultimate judge of men's souls. Verse number 12 Uh, But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed. There's the sixth time that the idea of destruction or destroyed appears in this text. So they are like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed. Speak evil of the things that they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. These uh, men are just, they've become animals, essentially, is what Peter says here. And uh, certainly we see that all around us. By the way, one of the major problems with evolution is if you teach people that they're animals long enough, what are they going to start acting like? Well, they're going to start acting like animals, aren't they? And we see that all around us today. Verse number 13, this reminds me of Romans 6.23. It says, And will receive the wages of unrighteousness, as those who count it pleasure to carouse or to revel in the daytime, They are spots and blemishes, carousing or uh, reveling in their own deceptions while they feast with you. So they count it pleasure to carouse in daytime, out in the open, no shame whatsoever. You know, uh, a lot of times people will sin in the dark. They will hide their sins, and certainly we cannot hide our sins from God. But that is kind of the natural tendency for a lot of people to try to hide their sins in the dark. But these people take it a step further, and they just do it in broad daylight. They don't care at all. They don't care who sees them. So uh, that just shows you how far these people have come uh, with no shame whatsoever. I'm reminded of the passage in uh, Jeremiah that says, Were they ashamed? No, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. I'm also reminded of Romans 1, verse 32, which talks about those who approve of or have pleasure in the various sins that Paul mentions in Romans chapter 1. Paul says, even if we have pleasure in them, even if we approve of these things, then we are worthy of death. So we as Christians, not only can we not be practicing these things, but we should not be approving of them either. Finally, verse number 14, and this is where we will end today. Having eyes full of adultery, 
and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. These are the characteristics of false teachers. They have eyes full of adultery. They cannot cease from sin. They're constantly looking uh, for those to whom they will lust after in their hearts. Uh, they're looking for opportunities for adultery and all matters of iniquity. And it's not that they are incapable of repenting. When uh, Peter says that they cannot cease from sin, it's not that they are completely incapable of repenting. Anybody can repent as long as there's breath in their lungs. But it's the idea that these people are so far gone that they refuse to repent. They have no desire whatsoever to repent. And we see many people that could be characterized that way today. They also entice unstable souls, people that are wishy-washy in their beliefs because they don't study the Word of God enough, uh, those that are tossed to and fro with every kind of wind of doctrine, as Peter writes in the book of Ephesians, they're being enticed as unstable souls. And that is what the false teachers do. They entice people to believe their false doctrines. They have a heart trained in covetous practices. Of course, that's really one of their main motivations. Uh, covetousness, which is idolatry, by the way, in Colossians. But uh, they desire uh, to have material gain through their false teachings. And Peter says, what about them? He says that they are accursed children. I'm reminded of Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9. Uh, Paul was marveling that they were so soon removed from the grace of Christ and in the gospel of Christ. They were so soon removed from it that they accepted another gospel. And Paul says there was not another gospel. And even if an angel from heaven were to preach another gospel or a different gospel, Paul says that that person or that angel would be accursed. And he says that, he repeats that twice in verses uh, 8 and 9 of Galatians chapter 1. So this is serious business. When people forsake the gospel of Christ, the doctrine of Christ, again, Second John verse 9, when they forsake that and they twist it and they turn it into something different, Peter says, just as Paul says, they will be accursed. I hope that you have enjoyed this very serious study of the first half of Second Peter chapter 2. Lord willing, next week we will continue with the second half of Second Peter chapter 2. What's up, guys? It's Caleb and Michael over here from the Scattered Abroad Network, and we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to this episode. Yeah, we're so thankful to the East Hill Church of Christ for overseeing this network, and we're grateful to God for this opportunity. And don't forget, you can check out our show notes below for all of our social media links, email address, website, and we have a monthly newsletter, so don't forget to sign up for that. Please remember to leave us a rating or a review on whatever platform it is that you use, and please continue to keep our network in your prayers. As always, thank you again so much for listening. Be ready tomorrow. We have brand new content coming out here on the SAN. Thanks so much, and God bless.